Welcome to the Gary Smith Show. For the next hour, Gary will be taking your calls and answering your emails as he discusses personal development as it relates to your business, your career, and your personal life. Gary is a successful businessman and entrepreneur and is the founder and president of Optimum Performance Technologies, LLC. Gary is a business consultant, business and personal coach, and a professional speaker and writer who has dedicated his life to helping businesses and individuals develop and implement plans to take their companies and their lives to new levels of performance and success. Gary is the author of two outstanding books, The Shepherd and the Princess, Seven Keys to Conquering the Goliaths in Your Life, and Achieving Unusual Greatness, Timeless Lessons from the Trail Already Blazed. If you have a question or comment for Gary, please call in at 860-432-9735 or email him at questions at optex.com. You can also learn more about Gary by visiting his website, optex.com. And now, here's Gary Smith. Good morning. Happy Saturday morning, everyone. Another beautiful, beautiful Saturday. Uh, I hope all of you got a chance to enjoy the weather uh, yesterday. It was just a glorious day, and uh, it was really neat. I got to sit out on the patio a little bit yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon and evening, and just enjoy the the, the gorgeous weather and uh, share a meal out there with my wife. It was just uh, really, really cool. Uh, thanks to Zach Hutchinson for being here in the studio with me today. I uh, love uh, coming in on Saturday mornings and spending time with, uh, with Zach. Um, we've had some, uh, some fun this morning. We're, uh, we're experiencing some challenges with our broadcast computer. I guess uh, last Sunday it kind of self-destructed, and so we've been in the process of rebuilding it. So Zach is, uh, is on top of things here. You know, we apologize if, uh, if there are any glitches in the program. We're, uh, we're working through the details, but we're going to have a lot of fun anyway. Uh, so give us a call if you have any questions today, uh, 860-432-9735. Text to 860-856-7193 and email your questions to questions at optex.com. And we'll be happy to, uh, to speak with you, to, uh, to answer your questions. That's what we're all about. We're here to help and to uh, share information and try and help you uh, make a pathway forward uh, in your life and in your business. So please give us a call. Let us know what we can do to help. Uh, today's show is for a combination of business owners and those of you who work for them. Uh, so we're, we're, it's really going to be for everybody. We're going to touch on a little bit of everything, both from an employer and an employee point of view. But I want to talk about, it's kind of my opening remarks today, what comes into your mind when you think of the word excellence? What, uh, you know, especially from a business perspective, whether you're a, a business owner or an employee, uh, what, what really pops into your mind with that word? And what about when it's married to the word culture and it applies to your business? You know, what does it mean to you if you work for somebody else when you think about excellence and, and culture? And what's the significance of organizational culture as it relates to things like customer service, employee morale, productivity, and ultimately the, the profitability of the business that you're running? You can be sure that the impacts are, are very, very far-reaching. So if you're a business owner, think about uh, some of these questions. Are the products and services your company produces delighting your customers in every respect? If I sat across the table from you today, could you show me metrics on things like product returns or customer complaints and, and tell me what caused them and what you're doing to fix them? Are your employees happy? And if they are or they aren't, how do you know? 
Uh, do you measure and know what your turnover is? What's the average length of time someone remains in your employ? Do you conduct exit interviews to find out why people are leaving, especially if you have a, a high percentage of turnover in your business? Do you have training programs to equip people with skills that will not only help them do their jobs better, but will prepare them for advancement and for adding greater value to, to the organization? Is your business productive and is it profitable? Are your employees involved in continuously improving your business? How often are you out in the trenches? You know, if you're a business owner, especially if you run, you know, a, a sizable company that may have 100 or more employees, how often are you out on the shop floor? Do your people out there feel a connection to you? Do they feel that you know them, that you care about them? Or when somebody walks through, does, do your employees turn, turn to their supervisor and say, uh, who's that guy? I've, I don't think I've ever seen him here. Uh, those sorts of things. How well and how often do you communicate with your employees and how much business information do you share with them? Are you the kind of person that plays everything close to the vest and your attitude is, is that people don't need to know because it really doesn't affect their jobs? Or are you open book with them about not only about the successes that the business is having, but the challenges that the business is facing. Uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that I used to do back in the days when I, uh, when I was running organizations is I'd always tried to have a, an open book with our employees. And we actually had monthly communications meetings where we would talk about stuff like, you know, what were our sales for this last month? What were our costs? What was the overall profitability of the business and, and what were the challenges that we were facing? Uh, what new customers did we have coming in and what kind of products were we looking at making for them? Uh, what, what were we getting in additional business from existing customers? What was our research and development department working on and how could people in the organization help by giving their input to the process based on their knowledge of customers? So how well do you communicate with your employees and how much are they really involved in, in your overall business? And now let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk about if you're an employee, do you feel like you're part of a family? Do you feel like whatever you do, whether you're a janitor or whether you're you know, uh, an engineer or a, a worker on the shop floor running a machine or doing assembly, do you feel valued for what you do? Do you feel that the company and the management of the organization embraces you and that they value uh, the stuff and the skills that you bring to your job every day? Are you part of a team that's really doing something? Um, does management actively solicit your ideas and input? Do you enjoy getting up every morning and going to work? Or maybe have you thought recently about looking for another job? Or would that thought never, ever enter your mind because you've worked there and maybe your parents worked there before you? So we're going to attempt to answer some of these questions today and some of your concerns as we address the subject of creating a culture of excellence with our special guest, Lorianne Mirabito. Lorianne is fiercely committed to helping her clients embrace a leadership style that really works. She works with healthcare organizations and other groups who want to improve patient-client satisfaction and develop better leaders and managers. She does this through keynote speeches, staff training, consulting, and coaching. Three of her most popular offerings are Five Easy Steps to Better Leadership Tomorrow, Create a Culture, Not a Box, and Overlooking the Obvious, How Organizations Sabotage Patient Satisfaction and How to Fix It. A few of Lorianne's clients are Johnson & Johnson, American Towers, Bay State Financial Group, 
Boston University, and the American Cancer Society. And she's also the author of an excellent book called Rethink Leadership. I interviewed Lori last week, and I'm really excited to share our conversation with you. So let's get started with the first of our four segments with Lorianne Mirabito. So as I mentioned, today's guest is Lorianne Morabito. Uh, Lori is, uh, you know, is just a really, really great lady. I've had the opportunity over the past year to get to know her a bit. We've had several phone conversations. I've read her book on Rethink Leadership, uh, and I just really believe in the things that, uh, that Lorianne is doing. So Lorianne, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to be on the phone and, and interview with me today, and thank you for being part of the show. It's just great to have you on today. My pleasure, Gary. So let's start out. We, you know, our, our topic for today's show is creating a culture of excellence. And there are three great words in there that I would like to explore with you. Uh, but the first is, uh, is the whole concept of excellence. Uh, what I'd like you to do, Lorianne, if you would, is just take a few minutes and, and start by giving us a definition of excellence and talk about how excellence applies to both our organizations and to the people in our organizations. Sure. So let's start with the, uh, the individual, and excellence would be something, uh, a personal definition of what is my best? What's my best that I can bring today to my family, to my organization, to my community? So for people to show up in their greatness, and to show up in your greatness, you got to know, you really have to know what you're good at. Um, it's kind of like Buckingham says, you know, focus on your strengths and, and excel there. So showing up every day, doing your very best, and at the end of the day, you really have to reflect on what happened. And what I mean by reflect is that all great executives, the executives that I work with, I drill this into them. You've got to reflect on what happened. What would you have done differently? What would you have said differently? At the end of big projects, you know, reflect on what could we have done differently. And so now let's take that individual and organizations creating that culture of excellence where everybody shows up doing their best, seeing where can we improve, what can we do better. Um, you know, like you walk into organizations, um, I, I, when I speak, I actually talk about Starbucks and Apple because they're very popular companies. And when I ask the audience who's been into one of these places, you know, ultimately everybody raises their hand with one or the other. And when you walk into those organizations, it's an experience to be there. And both of these companies, Apple and Starbucks, work very, very hard that when a customer walks in, it's an experience for them to be there. And in order to have that experience, everybody has to show up doing their darndest. And I know we all have bad days, but the better that you get at showing up in your greatness, the easier it is to, to show up, even if you are having a bad day. You like you shake yourself out of it. Or your fellow colleague is holding you accountable because that's the sort of relationship that you have and might say, hey, what's going on? What happened to you on your way to work? And that starts. Things like that will create a culture of excellence. It's also easier 
when you've got the top of the company, you've got your leadership team, that this is what their goal is. So in other words, they're putting their people first. How's that for an answer? <laughs> no, it, it's great. And I, and I, love, I love especially your example of Apple uh, because the whole, the whole thing of excellence really seems to permeate uh, the Apple organization. And I'll give you a quick example from my own personal experience, and that is uh, when you have a problem with one of your computers. Now, I, for years and years, I used PCs, and mm -hmm. my, primary, my primary product was Dell. And whenever I had an issue with it, I would call in, I would be on the phone for maybe 45 minutes waiting to get to a customer service person. And then when I got to the individual, they were somebody over in India who barely spoke English. And, and they were, it was obvious when I began the conversation with them because I'm a techie and I do a lot of my own stuff. It was obvious yes. to me that they were going, you know, they were following a script in what they were doing. On the other yes. hand, now that I have a, a MacBook, when I need to, uh, to, and it's rare that I need to, but in the few occasions that I need to contact Apple Technical Support, uh, I go online, I set up uh, an appointment, and they say, when would you like us to call you? And if I want them to call me right now, by the time, you know, 30 seconds after I click the submit button on my request, the phone is ringing. I'm speaking to someone from Apple who speaks English and who is a genius at that particular product and the particular issue that I'm dealing with. And their attitude is always, oh yeah, we'll take care of that. And 15 minutes later, I'm off and running, I'm back to work and I'm happy. And so the, it, it permeates every area of Apple's organization, not just going into the Apple store, which by the way, I think is a great experience because I like to go in and play with the toys. But mm -hmm. even at the customer service level, they are so good at what they do. And, they, and they, it seems like they are not only experts at what they do, but they appreciate the value of people's time. They do, they do, they're fabulous. I'm a Mac fan. Yeah, I, I have been for the past three or four years now. And uh, I mean, the old saying is true. Once you go back, go Mac, you'll never go back. And I am never, <laughs> never going back. That's right. So, but that's a that's a great definition of of excellence. It's you know, it's bringing your personal best to things, but then also making sure that you reflect each and every day on what did I do right, what did I do wrong. It's kind of like the the whole philosophy of continuous and never ending improvement. I may be good at what I do, but I want to get that one tenth of one percent better every day. I want to learn something every day so that tomorrow I bring a little bit more of my A game to my workplace. I think that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, cool. So that's part one with uh, with Lori Ann and a great definition of excellence, bringing your personal best to your work every single day. How many of us really are focused at, at doing that and looking at the things that we're that we're really, really good at, but also taking the time to reflect, you know, on everything that we do in our jobs and saying, what am I good at? What am I not so good at? And it's not necessarily that that's a bad thing. It's looking for areas and opportunities for improvement. What can, I, what can I do to be better at my job? What can I do to, to learn more? And not only doing that sort of stuff on your own. I mean, it's great if you're self-motivated in that respect and you're willing to go home and do a little bit of studying or maybe you approach somebody in the engineering department at the company that you work for and say, hey, I'd really like to learn a little bit more about this so I can understand how to do this better or letting the management of the company know that you want to learn, that you want to grow. Uh, reflection really is a tremendous tool for, for continuous personal improvement as well as business improvement. Now, taking, as Lori, Lori said, 
uh, looking back and, and at the end of every day and saying, what have I said or done that I should have done differently? How should I have approached things? So it's always looking at things from no matter how well I thought I did something, is there a way that I could have done it better? Is there a way that I could have had more of a positive outcome that I didn't? And that's just as important as looking at those situations that somehow turn out to be disastrous and then turning around and saying, what is it that I need to do to make sure that this never happens again? But always constantly be learning looking at where we can improve and what we can do better. I think that Apple provides a, a tremendous model in their customer service area. And it's not just from the standpoint that you're plugged into people who know the product and who are positive about the work that they do, but especially in the customer service area with Apple, the, the customer service people uh, are empowered to make decisions. So as an example, uh, I had a friend one time who bought a brand new iPhone and he dropped it on the driveway outside of his house and cracked the screen. And he took it back to the Apple store, figuring that it was probably going to cost him 150 bucks to get it fixed. And when he went up to the Genius Bar, the guy looked at the phone, asked him what happened, and he was honest. He said, hey, it fell out of my pocket, it dropped on the driveway, and it cracked. And the kid said, yeah, that happens all the time because the, the stress in the glass on the front screen is so great that it doesn't take much to, to make them break. The kid asked for his email address, pulled it up, realized that this guy was an excellent customer at Apple, that he had a, had bought a number of Apple products, and he and the fellow asked him, how much is it going to cost me to get it fixed and how long will it take? And the kid says, give me a couple of minutes. He came back, gave him a brand new phone. And the fellow said, well, why are you doing that? He said, you're a good customer. So I have the leeway. I've been given the leeway by the company to make these decisions. We'll just give you a new phone. I'll transfer the data over. Five minutes, you'll be on your way. So those are the things that, uh, that are really, really powerful. So if you're a business owner, sit back and ask yourself, you know, does your organization compare to that kind of a model in, in everything that they do? Give us a call with your questions. Uh, you can call in at 860-432-9735. Text us at 860-856-7193 or send us an email, questions at optex.com. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back with The Gary Smith Show. Each day, we face dozens of decisions, some more important than others. So next time on Sports Spectrum, we'll examine decision-making God's way. Listen in as we hear from Toronto Raptors co-chaplain Herbie Kuhn and Reds minor league pitcher Lee Hyde. Decision-making God's way on the next Sports Spectrum. Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock right here on Life Changing Radio. My organization asked me to find a speaker for one of our major events. I didn't know where to turn until a friend recommended that I contact Gary Smith. Gary was easy to work with and affordable. He designed and delivered an amazing program that met all of our needs. This is Gary Smith. If you're looking for a speaker who will entertain, educate, and inform your audience, call me at 203-599-1467 to discuss your specific requirements. I speak on a wide range of business, personal development, and spiritual topics, and I'll create a program that is guaranteed to please. Again, I'm Gary Smith, and I look forward to your call, 
203-599-1467. In addition to the station streaming on the internet through our website, WSTK1550.com. We also want to alert you to our programming available on TuneIn Radio. On your mobile device, download the TuneIn Radio app. Then under the search bar, type in our call letters WSDK. Now you'll be able to stream our programming on your device. Plus, under the menu icon, you can see our entire program schedule. Also, many of the national programs are archived, so you can go back and listen to previous broadcasts. So no matter where you are, take life-changing radio with you on TuneIn Radio. Welcome back to the Gary Smith Show. Uh, Great to have you along this Saturday. Uh, Maybe you're streaming on your computer or sitting out on the back porch or in your backyard enjoying this beautiful sunny day, having your morning coffee, or maybe even getting ready for lunch if you uh, you like to eat lunch a little bit early. Give us a call, 860-432-9735. Text 860-856-7193. Emails to questions at optex.com. So we've talked with Lorianne about... uh, about the whole word excellence and how that applies to an organization. Now we're going to get into another discussion with Lorianne as we discuss another word that's really, really important, and that is the word culture. So let's jump back into our conversation uh, with Lorianne Mirabito. Well, let's move on then and let's talk about another word. So we've defined excellence. Let's, let's discuss the word culture. And I think many of our listeners probably have a general impression of what an organizational culture is, but maybe you could give us some details and, and maybe give us some clarity on that, uh, you know, and some examples of both positive and negative kinds of cultures that you've seen in your work. Well, let's see. Uh, growing up, before I actually entered the workforce, you know, while I was in school, I always rem- now my dad's an engineer, and I love him to death. But my father always said work is a four-letter word. And he wasn't really a people person, but he was technically he was very, very good at what he did. And my first um, job out of college, I worked um, in a department in, I I'm, I'm, have a big background in healthcare, And I was fortunate enough to enter into this department that work was not a four-letter word. As a matter of fact, nobody took vacations because they didn't need it. Our work, our department, this group of people that I worked with, it was energizing. It just fed your soul. Everybody worked together. People had your back. We worked together as a team, as one, as one unit. So it was inspiring and fun to work. A couple of years later, you know, I'm in my 20s, you know, I want to, I'm still in that learning phase. And so I transferred to another department. I transferred to cardiology, to a different culture. This, now, we're under one organization, two very different departments, two very different cultures. And in the second department, cardiology, that's where I understood what daddy meant. Work is a four-letter word. And it was the exact opposite of the first department that I worked in. So I ended up leaving. So I didn't leave this particular healthcare organization. I left a manager because leaders set the tone. Leaders are responsible for the culture within the organization. That's their responsibility. So a culture is that feel that you get. So in regards to healthcare, you've got a patient who enters into an organization, enters into a department. They can tell what's going on. 
they can feel if people like their jobs or not. They can sense what that culture is. They know what makes them feel good or what doesn't make them feel good. Going back to that Starbucks thing, that experience, the Apple thing, that experience of when you walk in. How do you feel when you're there? Do you enjoy being there? Even though it's healthcare, you know, nobody really likes to go to the doctors or the hospital, but wouldn't it be nice if you entered into an organization that has a healthy culture to take care of others? Wow, that's those some really powerful, powerful contrasts there, and uh, and you know it's interesting. I tell people uh, that work is a four-letter word. It's P L A Y. <laughs> well, well, it's funny you say that. I think work should be a three and a nine-letter word: fun and inspiring. Ah, excellent, excellent. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I got the word play, actually, because there was, and I can't remember his name for the life of me, but years ago, there was a professor at Stanford University, and the book came out just about the time that I was starting uh, my own business, and it was called How to Be a Consultant. And in the first paragraph of the first chapter, he, he said, if you are going to succeed in business, your work must first become your play because then and only then will you put the energy into it that's required to be successful at it. And so I, I am very serious when I say work is play. When I get up in the morning, it's, it's not one of those, oh, Lord, do I have to go there today? It's, it, I, I roll out of bed in the morning and say, okay, God, what do I get to play with today? Yeah. Let's, let's go have some fun. And, and, I th and, I th and I think that, the, as you were saying, the fun and the inspiring kind of go hand in hand, because if, mm -hmm. if work is not fun, if work is a drudgery, it's very hard to get those inspirational, creative juices flowing in the things that you do. Mm-hmm. I agree. And so, it, you know, it's, it's neat. So you can see the difference in cultures and, and how the difference in company cultures, to, you know, can either really put people down and just, you know, make them feel crushed and destroyed versus being in a situation where, you know, where they feel uh, empowered and believed in and, you know, and encouraged to, to bring their A game to work every day. And, yeah. and, and I don't know, I mean, there's, there, I'm sure that there are ways to be, if you took those two departments that you were talking about, I wonder uh, if there's a way to be able to translate that into hard numbers, to be able to say, you know, either in measurement of customer satisfaction from the interaction that people had, uh, you know, with customers, or to be able to measure things at the bottom line that says when you create a culture of empowerment where it's fun, where it's inspiring, where people are always trying to do their best and improve, what does that do to the overall profitability of an organization? Oh, it's huge. I just read something um, earlier this week that said, if you have nine engaged employees to one disengaged, you make 147% more profit per person. Now, if you reverse it um, to what the average is right now in the U.S., and you have three disengaged employees to one engaged employee, you are actually making negative 3%. Wow, so there's a 150% swing there. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, and, you know, you hear that negative number and people think, well, then that means that companies aren't making any money. No, it means that all of your engaged people, and it's a, 
you know, a one to, you know, this, this three to one, your engaged people are making all the money for you. Wow. That's, that's really, really powerful. Now, in, you know, kind of a, a sideline question to that, Lorianne, in those kinds of organizations where you have, you know, out of 10 people in the organization where you have nine who are really engaged in what's going on versus the, the one person that isn't, um, what's your experience been as far as will that one person eventually engage or will they eventually, eventually just kind of weed themselves out of the system and go somewhere else because they feel that they're a square peg in a round hole? I, both of them happen. Um, you can turn people around or they will leave the organization because they just, yeah, they either don't feel like they fit in. Yeah, it's, that's what I usually tell people. It's one of those two. And sometimes it's a matter of a manager um, taking the time or even a fellow employee taking the time to become friends with them and really getting to know them, building that relationship because it could be something as simple as home life. You never know what's going on in people's homes. And home, I am convinced, and I haven't found uh, research on this yet, but in my experience, what I see, home life affects work life way more than work life affects home life. Oh, I, I agree with that completely. In fact, years ago, there used to be uh, an old saying that your job is, is, is as secure as your boss's relationship with his wife. <laughs> I like that. You know, and and you know, it's you know, it's, it's a funny statement, but but there is there is an element of truth in there uh, yeah. that home life is really powerful. And you know, it's interesting to me today when we talk about culture. There are so many companies uh, that, in fact, I have a a, a very good friend who uh, who works for a company called PayHub. Uh, they do payroll and payment processing and that sort of thing. And she said that one of the most uh, critical things that they look for when they're bringing someone into the organization is to look for how that individual is going to fit into the engagement culture that they have created for their business. And she said, we do some pretty outrageous things. She said, as an example, she said, when somebody's coming in for an interview, she said, I will actually go out and meet them in the parking lot when they come in. And she said, we'll have one of our employees staged in the parking lot. And she said, as an example, maybe it's a, a woman who is struggling to put a heavy box into the trunk of her car. And she said, as we're walking into the building, she said, I want to see if that individual is going to say, hey, hold on just a minute. This lady needs help. Let me help her and I'll be right with you. Nice. You know, versus do they just ignore and walk by? Because she said, when you're trying to create an atmosphere of engagement, and especially when you're in a heavily customer service oriented business, we want to know, is it inherent in your nature? Is it part of your personal culture to help mm -hmm. other people? Uh, and I thought, and I thought that was just so neat in the way uh, in the way they approach things. Yes, and I I think that's what we need to do. We need to put people um, in situations to figure out what is their true personality. Um, we are you know like we hire resumes, but we fire personalities. And to be able to do things, um, to be able to pull that out because everybody's on their best behavior during an interview and it can be very stressful. So you don't get to see beyond, you know, the persona that we're, that we're putting out there during an interview. 
Uh-huh. So I like that. I like that company. Yeah, they're, they're really, really sharp. And, and you're absolutely right. Everybody's on their best behavior. And I think, and maybe this is something we can talk about a little bit from your experience. As an example, I've been with a number of organizations where in an attempt to try to figure out what that person, who that person really is, because as you're saying, you're absolutely right. We hire a resume, we fire you know, personality. Um, mm-hmm. And in order to be able to try and find things out, they've gone to things like giving people the Myers-Briggs type indicators you know, and, those, and those sorts of tests. And in one company that I went in uh, you know, back in the days when I was managing companies, uh, they wanted to give me the Myers-Briggs. And I said, why are you putting me through this? I can tell you what I am. I've already taken the test a number of times, mm-hmm. but I can tell you what I am. Well, we want to go through the thing. And I said, but do you realize the lack of importance that has in your hiring me. And the HR person said, well, what are you talking about? And I said, I ha- I know the Myers-Briggs type indicator well enough that I can sit down and I know which questions relate to which things. And because I'm putting my best foot forward in the interview, I can make it say anything I want it to say. You know, so you're not getting any useful information out of it if you have somebody who's been through it before and understands what it is. Right. And, and and so that's really, you know, if you want to know the type of person I am, get to know me. Let's spend a couple of hours together. Let's talk about things. Put me in scenarios of dealing with difficult employees, dealing with irate customers, you know, dealing with stressful situations, and you'll find out how I handle things and the kind of person I am. And that's what you really want to know. That's right. Ah, loving this conversation with, uh, you know, with Laurieann. Uh, she's just a, a wealth of information, and, and I really appreciate the way she just approaches things so, uh, so much from a common sense, practical point of view that when you're, when you're listening to her comment about things, you just can't help but get the message that she's communicating. But some of the things, you know, culture, uh, you know, is that feeling that you get. It's almost like when you walk in, whether you're walking into a doctor's office, a dentist's office, or where you, you're going into a retail store like Apple, or whether you're in interviewing with a company and you get a chance to kind of walk around and see what's going on, there's a feeling, there's an atmosphere that gets created around the culture of whatever that is, and you and you can instantly almost sense, is this a place that I really want to be? Do I feel comfortable here? Is it something I really want to do? And and Laurieann's words about work being, you know, real a real good uh, words for work are fun and inspiring. When you stop and think about that as a business owner, have you created a fun environment for your employees to work in so that they will be inspired, so that those creative juices flow? And as an employee, do you feel that that's the atmosphere that you work in? Do you feel that you're free to express your ideas and to be creative in the things that you do? Yeah, and, and as business owners, you know, as Laurieann says, you know, we hire resumes, but we fire personalities. So in the interviewing process, what are we doing to find out how people are wired and, and make an assessment, not just from the standpoint of what their resume says and what their experience and capabilities are, but are we looking at them from the standpoint of are they going to be the right fit for the culture of the organization that, we're, that we have and maybe the organization that we want to create going forward? Are they the kinds of people who are going to help us move the business to, to where, we, where we want to be? I want to jump now to uh, you know to a question that came in from Marie, and uh, and this is an interesting one because it it really gets to the to the heart of of some of the things that we're talking about. And she says, I have two sons. Now, one is her natural son, the other is a stepson. Uh, the stepson is the older of the two, and and both her stepson and her son work at Lowe's. They've worked there for a couple of years, and uh, and her son, the younger of the two. Never calls in sick, even when he's not feeling well. 
but her stepson calls into work. He calls in sick all the time, even though he's married and and he needs the money. You know, his uh, her stepson, the one who's always calling out sick from work, um, wants to go into management, but the company doesn't want him. And it's interesting. Her son, um, who was asked to go into management, he actually had to refuse because he's in college and he just can't afford the number of hours that it would uh, take for him to do that job properly. And she says, "My stepson still doesn't get it. If you're committed and people can count on you uh, to show up to work with enthusiasm, as my son does, they, they get noticed and good things happen." And her question is, "How do I help my stepson? He just doesn't understand." And you know, uh, Marie, that is a, a, a really, really difficult uh, question to, to answer because what it really involves is getting back to the you know, base motivations and, and how, do, how do people get motivated to do things? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think there are a lot of people out there who have tremendous capabilities and they can do things uh, far beyond what they're doing right now. I'm sure that your stepson is probably very bright. And he has the ability to be able to do a management job. But the first thing is, is that he has to realize that you you have to pay the price up front. You have to be willing to go in in an entry-level position and demonstrate to people that you are responsible and that you do care about the company and that you're going to be there, rain or shine, and that when you're there, you're going to have a smile on your face. You're going to have a great attitude. You're going to do the things that need to be done. Uh, in order to demonstrate to the company that you're really interested and that if they give you the opportunity to take the next step, that they're not going to be disappointed, that you're not going to let them down. And so I guess the best thing that you can do is just you know continue to encourage him and maybe help him see the real world, especially if he's married and he's in a situation where he needs money, he needs the income. Uh, you know, ask him about, you know, gee, how much better would it be for you if you just for the next six months, if you just really buckle down and get in there and give it your all and then go back and ask the company if they will give you a shot at going into management because uh, that, you know, that will help build your credibility with the business. It'll let them know that you're serious about making more money and growing with the company. And then as you grow, when you get to the management position, you're going to make a little bit more money and in making a little bit more money, it'll it'll ease the financial load. And and as Laurieann was talking about, a lot of times we don't know when we're employers and we we look at people, we see people who have trouble in the organization, but we really don't understand what's going on. We don't know what's going on at home. We don't know what they're struggling with. Uh, we don't know. As an example, you know, uh, is the marriage uh, is the marriage happy? You know, are they you know are they happily married? Uh, are there is there stress that's going on there? Is the fact that perhaps your stepson isn't making a lot of money and then he's making even less money because he's calling in sick? You know, is that creating some arguments? Is that creating some financial pressure? And just encouraging people to say, you know what, it's not going to take very much. You know, a lot of times when you come when it comes to certain jobs, just showing up is a big thing because they they always fight those types of things where people will sign on to a job and then they don't come to work. Um, so just doing some simple things, being encouraging and trying to help him get far enough down the road that he begins to see the benefit. And I think once he sees the benefit, he'll really grasp onto it and maybe maybe really do something with it. 
Again, give us a call if you have any questions, 860-432-9735. Text at 860-856-7193. Email questions at optex.com. We're going to, we've talked about uh, excellence and we've talked about culture. Now we're going to get into the action verb of creating. And we're going to talk to Lorianne about creating that culture of excellence. So let's get back to our conversation. So, well, that's great. I, I, I'm really enjoying our conversation so far, uh, Lorianne. So we've talked about excellence, we've talked about culture and what it is and sort of the importance of having the right kind of culture. But the action verb in our, in our topic today is creating. So let's talk a little bit about you know, creating that culture of excellence. What's involved in, the, in that creation process and, and what can you give us as far as information for how we approach this in, in sort of a very practical, hands-on, uh, you know, from a practical, hands-on perspective? Okay. It's, like I said earlier, leadership sets the tone and we have... The work history here in the U.S. is that, you know, somebody's really good at their job, we promote them. Or somebody's sick and tired of dealing with them, so they promote them so that they're not in their department anymore. So we're, we've been promoting people who are going up the chain who don't have the skills or the tools to lead people. Oh, that, I absolutely line. agree with that. And I am a guest lecturer for Boston University's entrepreneur and leadership classes. Now, when I was in college, there was no such thing as a degree in leadership or entrepreneur, but more about the leadership. And, you know, I shared with this class because I was just there last weekend um, because they brought up leadership and I said, oh, leadership is not theory. It's practice. But and they all like they completely agreed with me. They were like, yeah, that, that's what we thought. Um, it's yet to be seen because, you know, these, you know, we're bringing these people out of schools with these leadership degrees. And it'll be interesting to see over time if that helps create better leaders. But we don't give people the needed tools to become effective, inspiring leaders people who are running departments, managing, you know, whether they're managing five people or 500 or even more, 5,000, they don't, if they don't have the skills, you know, it's no wonder work is a four-letter word. So it's, if we can get companies at the top to adopt this new behavior, this new way of thinking about leadership development, that we have to develop our leaders so that they can inspire other people and mentor and grow future leaders. This will organically change a culture. Because if you can picture, you know, your lower level managers and you're giving them the right skills and then they become the next, they keep getting promoted and promoted. And pretty soon, because like one of my um, clients is Johnson and Johnson, and they've been doing this for years. And if you ask people how long have you been with the company, you'll hear numbers like 15, 20, 25 years. My parents worked here. That's an organization that invests in its people. So that's how I think you create a culture of excellence. Is you have to, you have to put your people first. Now, it sounds really stupid, but there's that cow um, study that they did over in England where they treated cows differently. 
and happy cows make more milk. Well, happy employees are more productive. Happy employees stay longer. Happy employees build better relationships with your customers, your clients, your patients, and other team members. Oh, I, I'll tell you what, that, that resonates so strongly with me, Lorianne, because I have seen that in my consulting work. Uh, several years ago, I was hired by a durable uh, medical equipment manufacturing company to come in and help straighten out one of their product areas. And when I first arrived there, I got some marching orders from the president of the company. And he said, you know, there's a, a woman who's supervising this particular department. She has no idea what she's doing. My recommendation is, is that she needs to go immediately. And I said, is that an order? Or are you suggesting that that's an area that I need to look at? And he said, I, I'm strongly suggesting that it's an area you need to look at. And I said, okay, fine. So I went out and that day I met with, uh, with a woman who was the supervisor of the department and found out just exactly as you said. She had started out, she'd been with the company for over 20 years. She started out as a product assembler and had worked her way through the various areas of the department. And she was, without a doubt, the best assembler, the best troubleshooter, the best repairer of product that the company had. And so as a result, they made her supervisor, but they didn't give her any supervisory skills. She didn't know how to manage people. She didn't know how to effectively communicate with people. Even on a baseline, she didn't have the skills to be able to schedule her department and to look at the various productivity issues that they were having and things like that. And, and the bottom line is I wound up going back to the president of the company and saying, you'd be absolutely insane if you fired this woman. And he said, well, why? And I said, because you haven't given her a chance. So she's got all of this knowledge locked up inside of her head about this product that you'll be flushing if you get rid of her. Give me a few months to work with her and I will make her the supervisor that she needs to be. I'll teach her the skills that she needs to know to grow. And, and I did that. And in three months, she was running the department. She knew everything that she needed to know. She was developing the skills that she needed to, to have to be able to effectively interface with her people. And I see that all the time where, you know, the engineer who comes up through the ranks and just because he happens to be a superstar engineer, they make him the manager of the department and then he fails and leadership wonders why. Oh, that's uh, we're you know having a lot of fun with uh, with Lorianne here. Uh, I'm breaking into this particular segment because we're running out of time with the show, and we have a caller on the line, Sean from uh, Missouri, who has a, a question related to how to get someone motivated on another level. So I, I really want to get a chance to uh, to spend a few minutes talking with Sean. So uh, let's get him on the line. How you doing this morning, Sean? Sean, are you there? Sean, seeing if we can get Sean on the uh, on the radio here. Now uh, maybe Sean will uh, you know maybe Sean will call uh, will call back in and we'll have the. Uh, Sean, could you hear uh, Gary there? Yeah, we're trying to see if we can get Sean back on the line. But while we're doing that, you know, one of the key things that Lori and Ann and I were talking about is that we don't give people the tools to manage organizations effectively. Leadership requires development. It requires mentoring. It requires growth. Uh, and so Hello? we have to – ah, we got Sean back on the line. Hey, Sean, how you doing this morning?
No, I guess uh, we're still having some technical difficulties here. Uh, so uh, let Zach work on that, and I'm going to uh, continue talking here for a little bit. But leadership does require development. It requires mentoring and growth. And we need to create a culture within our organizations that puts our people first and, and allows, them, allows us to invest in them, whether it's for achieving skills current jobs or whether it is uh, investing in their development so that eventually they'll be able to grow and move forward with the with the organization. You know, happy employees are more productive and they stay longer. They build uh, better relationships uh, with your with your customers, and and a lot of it for people who are looking to make change. A lot of the challenges are surrounding uh, the actual fear of change. People just don't know what what's going on and and how to uh, how to be able to handle that, and they're afraid to take the risk that they can move forward and do the things that they need to do. Uh, so it's really you know it's a really challenging type of uh, type of thing. Uh, we're still trying to yeah, see if we can. We're still having some technical challenges here. We're still trying to get Sean on the line for uh, for the show here. Uh, but Lorianne is uh, is really correct in in what she's saying that you know that 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 we really need to create the right kind of culture in our organization and uh, and and really move forward. Uh, we still haven't been able to get Sean on the line here, uh, but. You know, one of the things he was talking about, and maybe I can just talk about it uh, generally. Hey, Sean, are you there? No, still can't get Sean on. But he he uh, was talking about getting someone motivated on another level. And I'm going to kind of try and read into that a little bit and say, you know, if you're an employer or if you're working with someone who uh, who really needs to take the next step, but they're they're either um, you know they they either don't have the self confidence to be able to do that or they don't know what to do. Uh, I guess the first thing that I would that I would say is to look at things from the standpoint about um, realizing that the difference between normal and exceptional. It, there's not as wide a gap there as most people think. It really isn't. Uh, giving an extra 10%, uh, as I said before uh, in the question that I was answering for Marie earlier, a lot of times just showing up makes all the difference in the world. And that's really what it uh, really what it comes down to. So, you know, having that uh, you know having that understanding that there doesn't need to be a lot between where you are and where you want to be. There doesn't be a, have to be a lot of extra effort invested. And the other thing is is to get the get the whole approach to uh, being motivated. And what is it that's really driving the individual? What can you do to help create a desire in that person uh, to to move forward? Because you know, a lot of it is you know, we. I have often said we do do everything we do in life for one of two reasons, either because uh, we are trying to gain some pleasure or we, we're trying to avoid something that's painful in our lives. So what can we do to either increase the amount of pleasure that we see that we're going to be able to get from doing this or to increase the pain that we're going to get from not doing it so that we can drive ourselves forward and, and do the things that we need to do? What's going to create that, uh, that impetus? Is what's going to be the fuel in the tank that's going to propel us uh, forward, you know that's a that I think is uh, is where you know where we want to be. We do have uh, one last segment that uh, that we uh, are going to talk to uh, Lori Ann about, and uh, and it's just going to be a kind of a, a, a wrap up, and we're going to talk about things like you know uh, making you know making changes 
and and how we go about doing that sort of stuff. So we're going to uh, jump over to our final segment now with Lorianne Mirabito. Um, let's take a look at things from a, from maybe a, 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 the other end of the spectrum. Let's say that we have an organization, and you know, it's a, it's as you've been describing, it's kind of a typical autocratic, do as I say uh, type of organization, mm-hmm. uh, and the culture mm-hmm. that's been created and the and the attitude of management is it's worked this way for the company for the past thirty years. I don't see any reason to change. When you're in that sort of situation, is there? Is there anything that employees can do um, to change, you know, or to influence organizational leadership to learn to begin embracing a new culture and, and moving the company in a different direction? Now, is there something that employees can do, or is that a lost battle? Well, they can try to create an environment that they want to work in. It is so much more effective to, you know, push a boulder downhill. So from the leadership team down than for employees to try to push a boulder upward. But, I mean, if you can hire just like, you know, start to hire different managers that think differently, um, that that in and of itself is not really going to change the culture because there are, you know, a lot of research out there that you can have somebody who's um, energetic and they're very people-oriented, but if you put them in a culture that's, as you described, do as I say, don't ask any questions, they will conform to that culture. Right. That's all there is to it. Yeah, so you're right. Pushing the boulder uphill can be, you know, can be a, a real challenge. So it really does need to begin with the, with the leadership of the organization fundamentally learning to think differently and, and being willing, as you said before, to take the risk uh, of of doing it, and maybe as you said, maybe the right approach and the way to minimize the risk is to do that experiment that you, su- that you suggested. Let's pick one problem area of your business, and let's turn that around and get it headed in the right direction. And when you see the benefit of that, then we'll take the next step. So it becomes, I guess, more of a of an approach of eating that elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Well, going to completely shift gears here, Lorianne. I want you to talk to the audience about your book, Rethink Leadership, and tell us where we can get it. Oh, wonderful. Rethink Leadership, Four Lessons to Make You Remarkable, is a modern-day parable about two people who meet in a coffee shop. And somebody's having a bad day, and, and somebody who's standing next to them says something very profound. And if you want to learn more, show up next week, which starts four weeks of lessons for this, these two people. And I can find it. It is on Amazon. And if you go to my website and purchase it there, I will be happy to send you an autographed copy. And my website address is um, L-A Mirabito, which is spelled M-U-R-A-B-I-T-O dot com. Excellent. And I, I highly recommend it to our audience. Guys, you need to go out and pick this book up. I have read it, and it is it is a really, really good, good book. I, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to uh, to put that together, Lorianne. Oh, uh, it's uh, it's really it's really really a powerful a powerful tool. So, well, listen, we're at the uh, we're at the end of our time today. But I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom, uh, not only with me. I've learned a lot today, but uh, but with our audience as well and i hope to have the opportunity to to have you back at some point in the future and we'll talk about more uh, about creating various kinds of cultures within businesses 
That sounds great, Gary. Okay. Have a wonderful day, and thanks again. Thank you. All right. That wraps it up for the Gary Smith Show today. Uh, apologize for the uh, the technical challenges that we've uh, that we've had, and I apologize to Sean for not being able to get on the air with him. I uh, hope I was able to at least in part answer uh, answer his question. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a real uh, real pleasure having you along for the ride. Uh, you can always contact me uh, if you just want to uh, send email to questions at optex.com during the course of the week. I'll be happy to get back to you and. And, uh, and answer any questions you may have regarding the show. Next week, you won't want to miss Myra Goldick, and we're going to be talking with her about positive attitudes uh, in, in life. And Myra is an amazing, amazing woman. She has overcome so much in her life from uh, polio and being crippled uh, and uh, living in a dysfunctional family and, and yet maintaining and, and building a, a great lifestyle for herself in, in service to others. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, so please uh, come back next Saturday morning and join us here on the Gary Smith Show. Until then, God bless. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Live your life with passion. We'll see you next week.